Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. On this beautiful sunny day, feels like a cloud is lifted for some reason. So let's stand and worship God together. We're going to start with Glorious Day. Bye. 
song always uses me right up, but man, it's worth singing. Such great words to that one.
singing. Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. If you'd like to read with me the scripture that's in your bulletin, it's from Psalm 136 verses 1 and 4. Let's read together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. 
If you'd like to bow with me, let's continue to worship as we pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather here together this morning as a family of believers. We thank you that we have your word that we can hear from this morning. We thank you for Pastor Glenn and that he can teach it to us. We pray that our hearts would be open to you as we receive your word and as we sing to you, as we give and as we pray. And we thank you for those things. Pray that you would guide us in our worship of you. Amen. And our scripture reading today is Acts 22. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they had heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city, educated by the, at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to go to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as, high, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From then I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light came from heaven and suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the great light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I couldn't see, because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me, said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness to him and, and to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of Stephen your, Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you away, far away to the Gentiles. Upon this word they listened to him, and they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they'd stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came to him and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. 
The tribune answered, I brought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, but I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all of the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. Thanks, Bonnie. And let's just bow our heads in prayer and ask God to guide our thoughts uh, as we go through this passage to learn what is here for us. Lord God, we come just come to you humbly, and uh, we are coming to open our hearts, open our minds to your Word and what it is you're saying to us. Help us, Lord, as we go through this passage, just to understand what that is. And then, Lord, as I speak it, Lord, I, I really ask that it would be you speaking through me. And that what you want said would be said, and what you want to say to each one of us personally in our own hearts would be what is said. Lord, we leave this in your hands, and we ask your guidance in Jesus' name. One Sunday morning, a pastor of a small church was invited into the children's Sunday school class to teach the lesson for that day. And for the sake of illustration, the pastor began describing a squirrel. And he started off by saying to the kids, the children there in that class, I'm going to describe something that I want you to raise your hand. As soon as you know what it is, uh, raise your hand and tell me. And so the children all nodded eagerly, and they started listening, and the pastor continued. He said, this thing I'm talking about uh, lives in trees. Continued on, it eats nuts. Nobody raised their hand. It has a bushy tail. <laughs> Nobody raised their hands, and the pastor was kind of shocked because he thought that was pretty obvious by now what he's talking about. Uh, but he kept on describing different things about the squirrel, and finally one little boy tentatively raised his hand, and the pastor breathed a sigh of relief, and he, and he called on the little boy for an answer, and the boy said, well, it sounds an awful lot like a squirrel to me, but I know the answer must be Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> because in Sunday school, when a teacher asks you a question, 99% of the time the answer is Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and most kids pick up on that pretty quick. So the pastor had those kids pretty confused. <laughs> but when you think through things with any kind of depth, you come to the conclusion that Jesus is the answer. In the things that really matter for time and eternity, it really is all about Jesus. It's an interesting passage that we come to today in our journey through the book of Acts. Chapter 22, which Chris just read for us. The bulk of this chapter 
is Paul making a defense before the Jews that are gathered there in that temple courtyard. Uh, and Paul's defense is almost exclusively him telling the crowd the story of how he became a Christian. So let's set the context. Paul has come to Jerusalem at the end of his third missionary journey. We saw that last week. He came to Jerusalem, met with the leaders of the Jerusalem church, who was James and the elders of that church. And they told Paul about the rumors going around there in Jerusalem, among the Jewish believers there, that he was teaching Jews outside of Israel, in those Gentile cities that he went to, he was teaching the Jews that they did not need to follow the Old Testament laws and the customs of the people. Now that was a false rumor, but the Jewish Christians were hearing that, and they're suspicious. And we saw last week, in chapter 21, how the church leaders there advised Paul to take part in a Jewish ceremonial rite and custom along with four others and to do that publicly in the hope that that would put to rest these false rumors that Paul was teaching Jewish Christians they didn't have to follow the law. So Paul did that, but as we saw last week, it didn't really work. Because there were some Jews from the Roman province of Asia that, they were, that were there in Jerusalem at that time for the Feast of Pentecost. This was uh, at that time of the year when the Jews celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. And uh, so there were these Jews from Asia that are there in Jerusalem to celebrate that feast. And they knew of Paul, these Jews from Asia, because Paul had been there. Paul spent two years in Ephesus. That was the leading city of the province of Asia. Paul spent two years there preaching the gospel. And so now these Jews from Asia, they saw Paul in Jerusalem and they saw him associating with a Gentile Christian from Ephesus. His name was Trophimus. And they jumped to the conclusion that Paul had taken this Gentile Trophimus into the inner court of the temple where Gentiles were not allowed. That was punishable by death. Now, that never happened, but it was a false assumption that they jumped to, a false conclusion they jumped to, and they just ran with that, that Paul took Gentiles into the temple. So they started a big riot there in the temple courtyard. They grabbed Paul, started beating him. They intended to kill him. And the result was the Roman commander and his soldiers who were stationed there, they ran to the scene and intervened and rescued Paul from the mob. And they had Paul handcuffed. Well, it says tied with two chains, but I think that's kind of the idea. And uh, they tried to find out what the issue was. And they couldn't get a straight answer from this frenzied mob. They're into mob mentality. You can't get a straight answer from a mob and a rider. So they started to take Paul back to the barracks. Now, remember I explained last week that this was a kind of a tower. It was right at the corner of this big, huge temple courtyard. That's where the Roman, this Roman cohort was stationed in that tower. So they were taking Paul back up. There's a stairs leading to the top. And they're taking them back up to the, to the barracks that were up there. So when they're carrying Paul up the stairs, Paul asked the Roman commander if he could speak to the people. And the commander, after a brief discourse, gave Paul permission to speak to the people. So Paul stood on the stairs and he motioned for silence and he started speaking in Hebrew. The language of the local Jews are spoken, they're everyday speaking. 
and at their worship in the temple. And so the crowd really quieted down when they heard Paul talking in their own language. And they listened to what he had to say. So that was all last week. That was chapter 21. So chapter 22, where we're looking today, is the record of what Paul said after the crowd had quieted down. And as I mentioned earlier, it's basically Paul recounting for the crowd how he came to believe in Jesus and became a Christian. So let's very quickly and briefly, I'll try to be brief as we go through chapter 22. And uh, so we all know what's going on and then we'll make the application. Brethren and fathers, Paul starts out. One translation reads, brethren and esteemed fathers. And so what struck me was Paul was giving this crowd who was trying to kill him, he was giving them a lot of respect as he talked to them. And Paul starts by informing them or reminding them that he was a Jew. He's a Jew. He's born in Tarsus, raised there in Jerusalem. He's educated under Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a very strict Pharisee who had a, a following of disciples, a school if you like, <laughs> that he taught his disciples in. And so thus Paul, educated under Gamaliel, he became a very strict Pharisee. Paul was very zealous for the law, he says. Just as every one of you are today as well. In fact, Paul reminds them that he persecuted these new Jesus followers. He led the persecution of them. He had letters giving him the right to go to Damascus and round up the Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem to punish them. And Paul's point is to tell this crowd that he understands them completely. He used to be one of them and think just like them. He knows where they're coming from. He was very zealous for the law, just as they all are today too. But, Paul went on, something happened on his way to Damascus. You can read it there in verse 6 and following of chapter 22. And that's a recount of the story that we first saw back in Acts chapter 9. When that gives an account of what actually happened, Paul here is telling the story of what happened back in Acts 9. Kind of same story, not exactly word for word, and a few details added, but same story. He's on his way to Damascus, and a bright light flashed from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice, and the voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, he used to be Saul, but now his name was changed to Paul. We went through that way back when, but back then he was still Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, I, I asked who was speaking, and the voice said, I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. Jesus? They killed Jesus. His disciples claimed he had risen from the dead, but that was just their story. But now it is Jesus talking to him? So Jesus actually had risen from the dead. That would have been what would have struck Paul as he <laughs> thought this through. Anyway, Jesus told Paul to continue on to Damascus where it would be told to him what to do. He had to be led because he was blind. The light had blinded him. He couldn't see. So they led him to Damascus. And he got to Damascus and a man named Ananias was sent by God to Paul. God used Ananias to restore Paul's sight. And he also used Ananias to explain to Paul that the God of their fathers... That's the Jewish people, the God of the Jewish people, the God that all the Jewish people worshipped as the one true God, 
God of their fathers had appointed Paul to know God's will and to see the righteous one. That's one of the terms the Jews used to refer to their coming Messiah. It's called different things, but the righteous one is one of the ways they refer to the Messiah, the coming Messiah that they're all longing for and hoping for and waiting for. Paul was appointed to see him. Obvious reference to Jesus. And to hear him speak. That's what happened in that vision. Paul saw Jesus and heard him speak. And that Paul would be a witness for him, for Jesus, about all that he had heard and seen. Then Ananias gave the command that Paul was to be baptized and have his sins washed away by calling on his name. Whose name? His name. Jesus' name. Have his sins washed away by calling on Jesus' name. So Paul, he's telling the story to this crowd of people here, this mob at the temple courtyards. Then Paul went on to explain to them that he went back to Jerusalem and was in the temple praying. And again he saw a vision of Jesus. And this time Jesus warned him to get out of Jerusalem because people won't believe his testimony about Jesus. And Paul seemed to disagree with that. He's thinking that because he used to persecute the Christians that the Jews would be more inclined to listen to him. But uh, Jesus warned him in that vision, no, you get out of town because they're not going to believe you. Jesus said, no, Paul, you leave. I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. And that seemed to be the last straw for that crowd listening to Paul. As soon as he mentioned that God told him to go far away to the Gentiles, they lost him. And they started shouting again and demanding Paul's death and throwing their cloaks in the air and throwing dust in the air. They were so outraged at this words coming out of Paul's mouth. So the Roman soldiers then got Paul back up to the barracks and gave the orders for Paul to be beaten or scourged as some of your translations say. Same thing they did to Jesus. In an effort to get the truth out of Paul, that's exactly what he did that stirred up this crowd so much. So that was back then, that was a way they used to get the truth out of people. They would tie them up and beat them until they told the truth. <laughs> I don't think that's very effective, but that's what they did. And uh, so they had him tied up, and then Paul asked the centurion, if it, is it lawful to beat a Roman citizen who has not had a trial and has not been condemned? Condemned? You see, if you're a Roman citizen, you did have some basic rights. And as a Roman citizen, one of those basic rights was that it, you could not be beaten without a trial and without being condemned. So you, if you weren't a Roman citizen, yeah, they could do that to you. But if you were a Roman citizen, you had those rights. You had the right to a fair trial. You had the right uh, to go under that, that trial. And if you were not found guilty and condemned by that trial, uh, you were not allowed to be beaten. So Paul asked him, like, you know, is it lawful for you to be doing this? And the centurion, he stopped the proceedings and he went and told the commander, what are you doing? The commander, one that given the order to have Paul beaten, he says, what are you doing? This guy's a Roman citizen. And the commander went and asked Paul, is, are you, is that true? Are you a Roman citizen? And then Paul said, yes. And the commander stated that he had to recall acquired a Roman citizenship by paying a large sum of money. There's different ways you become a Roman citizen. You could be born a Roman citizen if you were, if your parents were Roman citizens. 
Uh, or, if you wanted to and had enough money, you could purchase Roman citizenship and become a Roman citizen that way. And so this commander, he, he obviously paid a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. And Paul says, actually, I was born a Roman citizen. So obviously, at some point in Paul's background, either his parents or his grandparents or somebody had, at some point, because Paul was a Jew, they had at some point, obviously, purchased Roman citizenship. And then Paul was a Roman because he was born of Roman citizens. So they let Paul go. And the commander was scared because he had bound up a Roman citizen. If that got out, he could be in trouble. Let Paul go, and they decided to bring him before the Jewish Sanhedrin to try to get the truth out of the matter, which they did the next day. Uh, Roman commander asked the Sanhedrin to meet, and uh, they were going to bring Paul before him, for them, and uh, find out the truth of the matter. So that brings us to the end of chapter 22. And we see here, what we see here is that Paul, in telling the story, in his defense, he very skillfully points the Jews that are listening to him, very skillfully points them to Jesus. And how it is all about Jesus. So let's look at the application. We need to understand how Jesus is central to the gospel message. And we can by putting together the facts that come out of Paul's testimony here in Acts chapter 22, verses 1 to 30. Four things I want to bring out, four facts. Number one, first fact, Jesus did rise from the dead. Jesus did rise from the dead. Take note of what Paul said when he was describing what happened on the way to Damascus. There was a bright light from heaven that overwhelmed him. He fell to the ground. A voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And upon Saul asking, who are you? The voice replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now let's pause there for a bit and take stock. 25 or 30 years previous to this, Jesus had been crucified right outside that same city of Jerusalem. Still lots of people around, probably lots of people in that mob there in Jerusalem who remembered it. And then on the third day after his crucifixion, the tomb was empty. And Jesus' disciples said that he rose from the dead. And that 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. But the Jews hostile to Jesus didn't believe that. They chose not to believe it. They vehemently denied it, and they spread the story, the explanation that the disciples had stolen the body out of the tomb. And they are falsely claiming that he rose from the dead. Now back then, Paul was a fledgling Pharisee. He would have been hostile to Jesus. He would have been one of those who believed the line of the Pharisees, the line of the Jews. He would not have believed that Jesus rose from the dead. He would have bought into the disciples stole the body theory. The Jews that Paul is addressing here in this crowd in chapter 22, they would still be of that belief. Jesus was an imposter. He was a blasphemer. He was a fraud. He deserved death by crucifixion, which is what he got. He certainly did not rise from the dead. But now, Paul is telling them what happened on the way to Damascus, the light, the voice from heaven, who said he was Jesus. And later on, when Ananias came to see him, Ananias told him that God had granted him the privilege of seeing the righteous one. 
and hearing him. That's the Messiah. It's Jesus. More on that later. But what else could Paul conclude that Jesus was not dead? He is alive. He's in heaven. Very much alive and very much directing his church here on earth. That realization was key in Paul realizing that Jesus, who Jesus was and is, and in giving, very much key in, give, in Paul giving his life to Christ. So the first fact that comes out of Paul's testimony is that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. Jesus is alive. Yeah, and if Jesus is alive, then all his teachings are still true. And, all his, and they're all still in effect. And all his promises are still valid. And they're still in effect. And friends, that is profound. Because that is the first fact that shows us that Jesus is central to the gospel message. He rose from the dead. He is alive. First fact. Moving on. These all build on each other. Secondly. Jesus is God's promised Messiah. And what I want to focus on here is what Ananias said to Paul, verses 12 through 15. Let's read those verses again. Certain Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law and well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that time, very time I looked up at him and he said to me, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be my a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. So first Ananias said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And then when Paul received his sight, he looked up at Ananias, and Ananias had some words for him. Words directly from God himself. Notice what he says. The God of our fathers. The one true God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who had chosen the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob to be his chosen people. The God that had spoken to Moses and given them the law. The God who had made that covenant with them as a people. The God who raised up David to be their king. The God who had spoken to them as his chosen people through his prophets. That God. That God. The God of our fathers. The God that all these Jews who were listening to Paul speak these words. The God they all believed in and zealously sought to obey. Though they were very much misguided. <laughs> that God. The God of our fathers. And then I told Paul, the God of our fathers, that God has granted you a special privilege. He has appointed you to know his will. God had chosen Paul to have great insight into his plan of salvation for everyone and how he was in the process of working that out. And that God, the God of our fathers, had granted Paul the privilege of seeing the righteous one. The righteous one. That's the designation, as I said before, of the Messiah. The Jews were promised. All pious and devout Jews believed in and longed for and hoped for the coming of the Messiah. And Ananias, in speaking to Paul here, told him that God had granted him a special blessing in allowing him to see the Messiah. The Jews listening to Paul here tell the story. They would have understood it in that way. 
And Paul is telling them, when Ananias came to me and explained this vision, I had told me that the God of our fathers had granted me the privilege of seeing the Messiah. And not only that, but of hearing him speak. What Paul saw there in that vision was the Messiah. The voice he heard was the Messiah speaking. And as we've already seen, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. The risen Jesus. The righteous one. He's the righteous one. He's the Messiah. God had promised that they were all longing for and waiting for. And that's the second, second fact that comes out of Paul's testimony. Jesus is God's promised Messiah. So that means that all the things that God promised Messiah would be and do are all fulfilled or will be fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the one who will do all of this. Jesus is central to it all. Let's move on. We're building to something here. Number three, third fact. Jesus alone provides cleansing from sin. Jesus alone provides cleansing from sin. Looking at verse 16, Ananias' last words to Paul was, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Now, I'm no expert at New Testament Greek. I did take a course on it when I was in Bible college. <laughs> but that's many long years ago and I've forgotten most of what I know. But, from my study, the way that this is worded and phrased in the original Greek, the washing away of sins is done by calling on Jesus' name. Uh, baptism is a sign of that washing taking place, as taught in the rest of the New Testament. So Paul is to be cleansed of his sins by calling on Jesus' name and be baptized, a sign of that washing and cleansing. That's what Ananias told Saul, who was now Paul, of course, as they tell in the story. And that is what Paul is now telling this crowd as he tells the story. That's what Ananias said to me. Saul, the devout Pharisee, the stickler for obeying every detail of the Old Testament law and for all, obeying all the customs passed down from their Jewish ancestors, he needed to have his sins washed away. He needed to be baptized to show that. Now that would have gone against the thinking of the Pharisees. And most of the Jews who made up this mob that Paul was talking to, they weren't sinners. They were good law-abiding Jews. They were God's chosen people. They were Pharisees, some of them. The Gentiles, they were sinners. They, but we, we're God's chosen people. We don't need our sins washed away. We obey God's law. We obey him. We don't have any sins that need to be washed away. But Saul, the strict Pharisee, was instructed to call on the name of Jesus so his sins could be washed away. That tells us a couple things. First, tells us by implication that there is no sin worse than turning your back on and rejecting Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who... Is God come as a human for us all who died and rose again to pay the penalty demanded by our sin in our place. There is no sin greater than turning your back on Jesus and rejecting him. Second, it tells us that only Jesus can wash away sins. 
You can't do it by obeying laws. Paul had done it. Obeyed all the laws. He was still a sinner that needed his sins washed away. No one can be perfect enough throughout their entire lifetime to not have any sins that need washing away. There is no other way to deal with sin. Only Jesus can do that. And he will, if you call on his name. Call on his name. That means to accept Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he has risen from the dead, that his death and resurrection was for the sole purpose of paying the penalty demanded for our sin in our place, and to ask him to cleanse us and forgive us. That's what's meant by calling on his name. There's only one way, friends, to have our sins washed away. Only Jesus can do it. No one else can. There is no other method that can accomplish it. Your sins, my sins, can only be dealt with by Jesus. The sins that you and I have committed and the consequences of those sins that we probably are living under can only be dealt with by Jesus. The good news is that Jesus will wash them away and forgive us and cleanse us and make us pure if and when we call on his name. That's the only way. So that's the third fact that comes out of Paul's testimony that shows that Jesus is central to the gospel message. He alone provides cleansing from sin. And then fourthly and finally, Jesus is God's plan to reach the whole world. Skip down to verse 21. This is now sometime later. When Paul was in the temple, he had another vision of Jesus that he's relating here to this crowd. This time it was a warning for him to leave Jerusalem because the Jews wouldn't believe his testimony. And as we went through it, Paul protested that, but Jesus told him to go. He would send him far away to the Gentiles. And that gives us the fourth fact that comes out of Paul's testimony. And that is that Jesus is the Messiah, not only for the Jews, but for all the people of all nations throughout the whole world. The Jews that Paul was talking to here didn't believe that. There's no way that God would be interested in those pagan sinful Gentiles. God had chosen them, the Jews. They were his people. Those Gentiles certainly were not his people. So that is why when Paul said what he did there, that God told me that he was going to send me far away to the Gentiles, that's why when he said that, that was the last straw for that mob. They went right back to their mob riot mentality and sought to kill Paul. But the fact is that Jesus is the Savior for the whole world. God wants all people of all nations to come to him. All are equally sinful before God. All need their sins washed away. Jesus is the only one who can do it and he wants to do it for everyone. All people of all nationalities around the whole world Throughout the history of the world, people of different nations and people groups in their search for God have made up all kinds of systems and belief practices and worship rituals trying somehow to 
deal with the problem that they know is there, but they can't really put their finger on it. Trying to connect with the God that they know was there, but they never managed to accomplish it. It can only be done through Jesus Christ. He is God come as a human to connect with us as humans, all humans around the world. He died to pay the penalty for our sin in our place and rose from the dead. And because of that, he can wash away our sins. And he longs to do that if only we would call on his name. God has a plan and has from the beginning to bring humans back to himself. He has a plan for this world that he is unfolding and will certainly be carried out. And Jesus is central to that plan. It is all centered around Jesus. So the fact that Jesus is the Savior for all the world of all nations around the world is the fourth fact. That shows that Jesus is central to the gospel message. That one and only good news message. By the way, in case I haven't said it often enough or you haven't heard it often enough. word gospel, that's what it means. It means good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one and only good news message. So therefore we see from this passage... The facts that come out of Paul's testimony to this Jewish mob that show that Jesus is central to the gospel message. They are, number one, Jesus did rise from the dead. Number two, Jesus is God's promised Messiah. Number three, Jesus alone provides cleansing from sin. Number four, Jesus is God's plan to reach the whole world. In reality, it really is all about Jesus. Jesus really is the answer. To all of life's deepest problems, to all of our deepest needs and struggles, Jesus really is the answer. That's why Jesus could say what he did in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, where he said, Come to me all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. We live in a society where so many people are weary and heavy laden. Who are struggling under a load that is just getting to be too much. Jesus is the only answer. Maybe that's you here this morning. Jesus is the answer, friends. He's the only answer. He loves you and cares for you more than you can imagine and he wants to be the answer for you. If the weight caused by your sin, which you have not dealt with, if that's the problem, if that's the burden you're under here this morning, Jesus can wash away those sins if you call on him and cleanse you and forgive you. You just realize who he is and what he did and come to him and Ask for forgiveness. Ask him to wash away your sin. Invite him into your heart. He will do that. That burden will be lifted. If the weight that you're bearing this morning is caused by the consequences or the effects of your sin, or somebody else's sin maybe, again, Jesus is the answer. 
He's there to help you carry it. In the sense of walking with you and giving you, in the midst of all of that, a peace that is beyond human comprehension. A peace of knowing that all is good between you and him. And a peace that comes from knowing that he will take care of you and others, and he will take care of the situation you're burdened about. Peace in that, that passes human comprehension. At this point, you in all likely, likelihood don't know how he was going to do it. Or how it all going to play out, you don't know that. But, but he does know that. And as we give him that burden, he will carry it for us, and we can have peace about it, and our faith will grow stronger. But it comes right down to the fact that Jesus is the answer. He will be the answer. Will you go to him for the answer that you need? Let's take our time silence. Just take a few moments to wrap our minds around what we heard here and open our hearts to what God may be saying to each of us individually, personally, in our own hearts.